We're nearing the uh, end of our sermon series in 2 Timothy. Uh, today our text is 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 17, uh, which is the whole of chapter 3. Uh, the Bible under the chair in front of you, you will find that on page 996. As we have uh, reviewed each of these uh, last few weeks, uh, the th these are Paul's last words. The last letter that he wrote, uh, wrote it while on death row. He's in prison in Rome, uh, soon to be executed. He knows that that is coming and so he has put a lot of careful thought into these very important uh, last words. Uh, he gives five primary charges uh, to Timothy, uh, and thus through Timothy to us, to the church. There's the overarching charge to guard the gospel, uh, which is what we looked at uh, the first week. And then the charge to suffer for the gospel. Uh, last week, the charge to develop character through the gospel. And this week, the charge to continue in the gospel, uh, to walk the talk, uh, even and especially in times of difficulty. And Paul makes his point using what I'm going to call the Sesame Street method. I mean, who didn't grow up on Sesame Street? Hasn't that show been out longer than television? Uh, but, you know, Sesame Street, when they're trying to make a point, when they, especially when they're trying to get a new concept across, uh, one of the things that they do is they'll often use opposites or contrasts uh, to, help, uh, to help bring in a, a definition or to bring in clear understanding of this concept. And so you, you hear something like hot, cold, uh, tall, short, noisy, quiet, light, dark. Well, here, 2 Timothy 3... We have ungodly and godly. Uh, godlessness in contrast to godliness, as Paul gives us this charge to continue in the gospel. And our key verse uh, to help uh, focus our attention as we get into the passage is verse 14, or at least the first part of it. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. The charge to continue in the gospel. Let's pray. Lord God, we look to you this morning. Uh, we give you thanks for the blessing of your word to us. We ask now that by the power of your spirit, uh, you would take this, which is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, to pierce our hearts. And you, the great physician, would do the work of cutting and changing and healing and growing us more and more in your grace and in godliness. So speak to us now, uh, deep uh, into our minds, deep into our hearts. And we pray it all in Jesus. Amen. So 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, uh, beginning with verse 1, hear the word of God. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, 
lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And this is the Word of God. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. And so Paul uses that Sesame Street method here. He begins with something opposite. Obviously, he is pointing us, exhorting us to godliness, but he begins with something opposite, a contrast, dark light, ungodly, godly, godlessness in contrast to godliness. And so in this passage, uh, the whole of chapter 3, first, Paul gives us a contrast. And then he gives the charge to continue. And so contrast and continue. Those will be the two parts uh, that we'll look at as we walk through this passage. So we begin with the contrast in the first half of the passage, uh, verses 1 through 9. Now, if you were here last week or you uh, read the, the previous passage, you know that Paul has just emphasized Christian character, uh, developing uh, Christian character. So the second half of, of chapter 2. And now he, he makes a change, a shift. Uh, he begins this section with a contrast to it. And then in a few moments, he's going to pick back up with godliness uh, again in the second half of our chapter today, chapter 3. 
And you'll note, uh, verse 1, that the ungodliness, uh, the godlessness, takes place when? In the last days. And so that puts the question before us. Are we in the last days? And the answer is yes. Uh, Scripture gives a resounding yes to this. But I want to speak to it for a moment because it might be different than, than some of you have typically thought of the last days. Now, many people often think of, of the last days as being those days immediately precede, preceding Christ's return. However, as, as commentators uh, agree, as Scripture is clear, in the New Testament, uh, this phrase, uh, the last days, it is, it's more or less a technical term uh, referring to the entire period between the first coming of Jesus and his second coming. In other words, we've been in the last days for more than 2,000 years now. And you can see this clearly in places like uh, Peter's famous sermon at Pentecost, uh, Acts chapter 2. Uh, in the very first statement of the book of Hebrews, uh, which is something that uh, Dennis highlighted for us a, a couple of weeks ago in the adult education hour. So according to the New Testament, the, the last days were ushered in by Jesus' incarnation and will continue until his return. And as we look at this first verse, uh, we, we see that within these last days, we're told that there will be various seasons in which things will get worse. Uh, that there will be times of difficulty, uh, verse 1, or terrible times, depending on your translation of scriptures. Uh, but times of difficulty when the experience of evil will be heightened. As John Stott puts it, Paul is emphasizing that opposition to the truth is not a passing situation, but a permanent characteristic of the age. And then we get to a list of 18 vices, uh, followed by a, a parenthetical commentary uh, at the end. Now, the parenthetical commentary, I'm referring to verses uh, 6 through 9, because basically what's going on there is, is Paul is highlighting that there are some false teachers uh, they're taking advantage of some disadvantaged women, uh, that these are deceitful and self-centered uh, men who are like these two evil magicians uh, in Egypt who had opposed Moses and thus had opposed the truth. And Paul's point in that, is, as he states at the, uh, the end in verse 9, is that they will inevitably be exposed as frauds. But the main part of this paragraph is, uh, is verses 2 through 5. I mean, it, it's a fiery list. You know, just even as I, as, as I read it, I, I, it, 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 you can feel the weight of all the descriptors that Paul heaps one after another after another. Now, some of you are familiar with the, uh, the classic film, uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Uh, starring Chevy Chase, comes out uh, every year. And so this list, going through it, it can seem a bit like Clark Griswold's tirade uh, going off on his boss, Frank Shirley, uh, which is really one of the most famous and enjoyable tirades uh, ever. But there's an essential difference here. 
Because whereas that is hilarious comedy, here we have serious tragedy. And what we have here in this list of 18 vices is a picture of sin unchecked. Of sin that has gone wild. And here's the thing. All of us, all of us are tempted. And often unknowingly, but tempted to compromise the gospel in thought, word, or deed, just like this, being negatively influenced by the difficult times of our day. And so we should listen and know what sin unchecked can look like. And so verses uh, 2 through 5, uh, beginning again with verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Well, the primary characteristic that makes these times difficult is misdirected love. Misdirected love. We, we see the people's lack of love for God and for others. And also their preoccupation with self. Uh, we read that they are lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, not loving good. That they are swollen with conceit. In other words, they're full of themselves. That, that's where we get the phrase. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Misdirected love is what characterizes these seasons, these times of difficulty, whenever they arrive, whenever they arise in the last days. What we see here expresses complete, complete self-absorption and a severe lack of concern for others. Uh, Tim Keller warns of the consequences. An obsessive self-love arising from sinful pride has a hold on people's hearts. It turns the health of society upside down so that the times become difficult and nearly unbearable. Certainly our own time, with its self-absorbed and self-centered behaviors, is such a time as Paul describes here. The direness of our situation today is especially revealed by the fact that we often paint such obsessive self-love as a virtue to be acquired rather than a vice to be spurned. And he concludes, It is exceedingly important to recognize that such a state of affairs is unnatural, lest we be duped into believing and behaving in the same way. If we fail to see this, we too will become like those who have the appearance of godliness but lack its power. In that last statement, uh, referencing verse 5, 
It's rather haunting uh, when you think about it. The fact that it is possible to have the appearance of godliness. To appear godly to others, but also to appear godly to oneself and yet be denying its power. Uh, Actually being ungodly, being hollow and empty. In other words, we can engage in religious activity yet without true uh, moral reformation. uh, Without true gospel transformation from the inside out. Just because someone does all the right Christian activities doesn't mean that all is well with their soul. In fact, doing all the right Christian activities, you know, this can become kind of a checklist spirituality, uh, something that really is, is deceitful, uh, deceptive, dangerous. Now, for example, uh, the, the checklist, I think you know what I mean. Am I reading my Bible? Check. Am I going to church? Check. Am I paying a tithe? Check. Am I doing this? Am I doing that? Check. Check. Okay, I've got all my ducks in a row. I must be godly. I must be okay. But brothers and sisters, the the question must not be, am am I reading? Am I learning about my Bible? But am I applying God's word to my life? Am I encountering Jesus and being transformed by what I read? Not am I going to church regularly, but am I actually meeting God when I worship and in such a way that I'm convicted of my sin and at the same time am so amazed by his love that that I want to change the patterns in my life, in my thinking, in my beliefs that aren't pleasing to him. So the contrast of verses 1 through 9, it serves both to inform us about the times of difficulty in the last days, uh, but also to warn us, uh, to warn us about the challenges and temptations that we all face because of our sin. So now that, now that Paul has given this contrast of, of ungodliness, he transitions back once again to godliness, uh, the second half of chapter 3. The call to continue. And so now we we shift to the central imperative of this passage, which is continue. Uh, Verses uh, 10 through 17. And verses uh, 14 and 15 set the stage. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Knowing first from whom you learned it. Uh, Primarily the Apostle Paul. And second, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, uh, the scriptures, God's word. Here we see direct reference uh, to Paul's example and also to God's word. And so we continue in the gospel by following Paul's example. And we continue in the gospel by feeding on God's word. A following and feeding is the way that we continue moving forward in the Christian life. Following and feeding. So 
We continue in the gospel by following Paul's example. Now, verses 10 to 14. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. So the false teachers live and teach one way. But Paul provides a completely different model uh, for Timothy and for us. You probably noticed the, the repetition of my. You followed my this and my that and my this and my that. And so this repetition of my, it's putting a clear emphasis on Paul as the model, as the model for faithful living and ministry. And, of course, that's in contrast to the, the godliness, godlessness of the, the previous verses. Uh, Pastor Kent Hughes explains, Paul reminds his young protege that he has been a close observer of everything in Paul's life, culminating in Paul's endurance of multiple persecutions, uh, verses 10 and 11. Now, this reminder was a gentle, fatherly prod for Timothy, to shoulder the same noble mantle that comes with a life committed to the gospel. And with this, Paul presents a universal truth regarding such a life. Verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And note verse 12. It's a promise not a possibility. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And we see this throughout the New Testament. We see throughout the New Testament that suffering is an expected part of the Christian life. Now, the actual persecution varies. In fact, it may be less where there has been more Christian influence on the laws and, and cultural values of a society. But those change. In the unbelieving world, and Paul wants to get this across, that we shouldn't be surprised, but the unbelieving world will always remain deeply hostile to the gospel. And friends, that's why we need Jesus. That's why Paul says to follow his example as one who continually looks to Jesus. And so we continue in the gospel by following Paul's example, uh, which would also include following the example of godly men and women who have gone before us. But most importantly, most importantly, what we see in this part of the passage is that we continue in the gospel by feeding on God's word. And so lastly, feeding on God's word versus 15 through 17. 
uh, beginning again with verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and also how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man and woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Feeding on God's Word. Now, sometimes I, I ask my kids uh, why we have Bible story uh, before bed. And, and they have varying answers depending on how wily they are at the moment. But what I always like to get, get back to is that just like the dinner that we ate fed our bodies, so God's Word feeds our souls. It nourishes us and strengthens us as we continue to grow. And just like we can't remember every meal that we have ever eaten... We've actually needed each one to nourish us along the way. And so it is with God's Word, even though we don't remember every time we've eaten from it. We continually need it to nourish our souls. Are you feeding on God's Word regularly? Are you eating of this book? Well, what do we learn here in these last uh, three verses about God's Word. In verses 15 through 17, uh, we learn of its power, its source, its purpose. So we, we immediately learn of its power. Verse 15, the sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. God's Word has power has the power to bring real life to the reader, to bring them to faith in Jesus. Now, Scripture can lead them to a knowledge of the truth, to a knowledge of the gospel, to a relationship with Jesus. We also learn of its source, verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is God-breathed. The source of Scripture is God Himself. It's not any man. It's God Himself. And here Paul stresses the divine origin and thus the authority of the Bible. The whole of God's Word. And so we see that the Scriptures are life-giving and that they are God-breathed. It's like the lifeguard at your pool, uh, your local pool, or maybe your, your favorite beach, sometimes needed to give mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. In a sense, breathing life into someone who is dying. Well, God's Word breathes life into us. God breathed into our souls. We then learn of its purpose. Verses 16 and 17, the last two verses. All Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The purpose of Scripture is to grow us up in the gospel, to shape us, to change us, to equip us 
us. Now, do you remember last week, if you were here, we, we talked about swerving from the truth. Uh, verse 18 of chapter 2, swerving from the truth. And how it can be like incorrectly handling your car, uh, swerving out of your lane, or like the friend of mine in uh, driver's ed did, actually swerving off the road and into the yard of a church. Uh, but, you know, swerving from the truth. Okay, here we find words like correction and reproof. Correction is like making a small adjustment as you begin to veer out of a lane. Reproof or rebuke is like when you see the big red sign on the freeway saying, wrong way, turn around. And so we see that the purpose of Scripture is, is to challenge us, is to correct us, is to change us. All in all, it is to grow us up into the people we were created to be. It, it is to grow us up into the people of God that we are saved to be. Thus, as one theologian states, the scriptures are given to us to change us. Thus, our chief goal must not be to master the scriptures, but to be mastered by them. To be mastered by them. So most importantly, we continue in the gospel by feeding on God's word, knowing that the Bible is the very word of God, the final authority in all matters of faith and life. And friends, the, the beauty of the gospel is that as we feed on this, as we feed on the written word, we meet the living word, Jesus Jesus, the one who both forgives our disobedience and also enables our obedience. Through his work on the cross, Jesus forgives our disobedience. And through the work of his spirit, he enables our obedience. He forgives our disobedience. He enables our obedience, equipping us for every good work in Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, eat this book. Eat this book, feeding on the living word and being fed by him as together we continue in the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we do give you great thanks. Thank you that you are the living word, uh, the word of life. And we pray that by the power of your Spirit, that you would continue to meet us, uh, to make yourself known to us through this, the written word, uh, the Bible, which truly is living and active and able to thoroughly equip us for every good work as we continue in the gospel. Amen.